0: You are listening to the weekly podcast of City Church Orlando, located just off of 1792 at 650 Airport Boulevard in Sanford, Florida. Our website, orlandocitychurch.com. Today, Lead Pastor Eugene Smith will finish at our series called 50 Days to Fitness. Have you ever felt like your life is on the edge, overwhelmed, maybe even stressed out? Today, we will discover how you can find God's source of strength and power to overcome all of life's obstacles. Our scripture text comes from Psalms chapter 102, starting in verse 1. Today's message is entitled On the Edge.
1: We're coming to the end of a journey that we've been taking as a church congregation entitled 50 Days to Fitness. And uh, you can help me this week. I'd just like to know if your life's been impacted over the last several weeks. I, wanna, I really want to communicate, I want to preach messages. Our team really wants to present things, the truth of the gospel to you in a way that helps you. And if it's touched your life in any way, you know, you've had some aha moments, like Pastor Glenn said, some changes in your lifestyle and behavior, and you're really sensing that God's doing something in your life in relationship to your physical body, your temple, the place that God's Spirit lives and dwells, just send me an email. Uh, email address is eugene at orlandocitychurch.com. Just help me out. And if you've got testimony, maybe lost some weight, something's changing in your life, you feel better, I'd really appreciate it. Well, this morning I want to speak to you, and the, the, the title of my message is Life on the Edge. Life on the Edge. So what do you do when your life feels like it's on the edge? I thought this graphic was pretty good. This girl, she's like on the edge of a waterfall, and she's ready to fall off. I want to share with you an on-the-edge moment in my life. Now, we have lots of these probably in our lifetime, but... We have kind of like some extreme examples of it when the stress barometer is like way over here and we're feeling that pressure and that intensity. And, and uh, about probably within a few, first couple of months of our family moving to central Florida, Christmas time of 1998, we had never been to one of these big outlet malls down by Disney. And so Austin was eight, Keena was three, and uh, Laura and I took the boys and we went shopping. And so we go down to this outlet mall, and the place, it's Christmas time, you know, it's just packed. I mean, it's just packed with people. So we're walking through the mall, and there was one of these super bookstores that's in there, discount bookstores, and so we kind of, I love books, and so I walk into the bookstore, and, and I'm like, I'm really, i really, started picking, up, going through books, I pick up this book, and I start reading this book. I've read lots of books, you don't believe, I mean, you might not believe this, but i read lots of books just standing in bookstores, and I, I go through them pretty quickly, look at the titles, and Usually I read, the, like, the first chapter, the back chapter, and I got the whole book. That's kind of the way I, a lot of books, not all books, but a lot of books I do that with, and, and so I'm reading through this book, and the Lord says, well, I'm going to go over here to the store, and why don't you watch the boys? Ah, no problem, I'll watch, hey, Austin's saying, he can help me watch Keenan. yeah, I'll watch the boys, and so I'm reading this book, and uh, about five, six minutes, I look up, and I, I see Austin, but I don't see Keenan. and a uh, three-year-old, I don't, he's not in my eyesight, that's not a good thing, and so I kind of, I step out, you know, I put the book down, I go to the next aisle, there's no Keenan. And so, then I start, you know, that stress level starting to really get high, and, uh, so I go to the next, next, I'm running up and down this, uh, the aisles of this book, and it's a pretty big bookstore, I'm run, running up and down the aisles, and there's no Keenan. And by this time, the stress factor is about right here, and I'm thinking my wife is going to kill, first of all, I'm feeling terrible, someone's kidnapped my, you know, all the thoughts that you think, someone's kidnapped my child, I'm just, you know, my life is over, what did I do, I I'm, you know, crying. I'm like, ah, Keenan. By this time, my voice level is raising. I'm yelling at Austin. I'm yelling for Keenan. Yelling at Austin, and, and I'm all over it. So I go out into the mall, and I'm Keenan, Keenan. I mean, I'm yelling. I'm looking for Keenan, and uh, and it's over the top by this time. i the worst. Has happened. Someone stole my child. He wandered off. Someone, come on, you know, just that sick. That feel like. I'm on the edge. And I just kind of look over, and I see Laura in this store. There's a couple doors down. I see her. And Keenan had, had walked out. Three-year-old kid walked out into this pack mall, started walking down, and he saw the corner of his eye's mom, and he went made a bolt for her. And so, all's well that ends. I said, God must have a purpose for my son, because he's still alive. Uh, you know. My wife, obviously, her stress level was quite high. Our stress level was quite high. A lot of stress. Well, we were, life at that moment was on the edge. Now, we all have extreme moments of stress, but the fact is we have things that are reoccurring in our life on a daily basis that produce stress. It just, we have stress factors. And it's not if you're going to be stressed out, it's just when you're stressed out. And the fact is stress can be a really good thing. Stress can be a motivator that can produce good results in your life. Deadlines can be good because it helps you accomplish things. Str- stress can do some positive things, but an overwhelming sense of stress or sense of out of control, out of control this in your life can lead to lots of negative things. And we've learned in uh, the 50 Day to Fitness, we've learned that, that diet and your re- food and your relationship to health, 80% of disease is behavioral choices. We've learned that. And stress is a huge factor of it. You can Google it. You can look at stress in relationship to your physical health. Big problems. Lots of people have lots of physical ailments as a direct result of not properly dealing with the stress in their life. Now, we all have different ways of dealing with stress. Now, I've discovered over the years that as a Christian, Christians have the same issues of people that, have, that are just living out there that are people of faith. We've all got these issues. In our culture today, this is a true statistic, in our culture today... 40 million people take antidepressants, 40 million. And you know, there's over 30 drugs that got all kinds of different names, like Zoloft, and I wrote a few of them down, Zoloft, and Paxil, and Prozac, but there's a whole list of them, I'm not even going to pronounce them because I can't get them right. There's all these drugs that people take, and really it's a direct result of, uh, of not being able to deal with the internal stress and pressures that they're experiencing in life. So they go to a medical doctor. Psychiatrist, Psychiatrist says, hey, this is going to help you. And and for many people, the fact is they need that bump to kind of get them on the right track. It's just kind of what they need. But as a Christian, I keep thinking, well, God, there's just got to be a better way. Because what's happening out there happens in here. And it isn't just that. And then we talk about all the people that are self-medicated. We have a ministry called Celebrate Recovery that helps people that do self-medication. Some people abuse prescription drugs, but a lot of people abuse alcohol and drugs and Men deal with pornography, and women deal with all kinds of other stuff and emotional issues, and all these things are a result of we have some kind of internal pressure, and we're trying to meet that need. We're trying to figure that out. We're trying to work out that part of our life. And so we have a problem. We definitely have lots of problems. And because this book, this book has become a book of rules rather than about relationship, this book doesn't produce the life And the power that God has intended for it to do in your life. Jesus said this. Jesus said, my words that have been recorded in this book are life. Jesus, when he was talking to the children of Israel, he said, you know, you're going to eat all kinds of bread in life. But the bread that I give, if you eat of my bread, you'll never hunger again. And so we have a disconnect. We have a huge disconnect. We have Problems and we don't deal with them. We don't understand how to deal with problems in life, and so we go to the doctor. So, I want you to create a mental image and picture right now in your mind, okay? So, you can imagine that I am Dr. Eugene R. Smith Jr., and I got a white lab coat on with a little stethoscope around my neck, all right? And I come in with the clipboard, and I got all your ailments and all the things. And so I'm going to talk to you. Now, I'm not a medical doctor. I'm not even a doctor of religion. I do have a degree, but don't have a doctorate. It's a big deal. But what I do have is the Spirit of God who has enabled me and gifted me to communicate spiritual truth to spiritual people. You are a spiritual being. You have a huge part of your life. Whether you recognize it or not, you have a huge part of your life That's very spiritual. And so we have these problems, we have these stressors in life, and it can be, you know, marriage issues, marriage issues, huge stress producers in people's lives. You know, a lot of times we talk at the other person in our relationship, but we don't talk to them, we talk at them. Huge problem. When we start talking at people, stress level starts to rise in your home. Do you know that? When you start talking at anybody, stress level is starting to rise. Why? Because you're not talking to them. You're not communicating to them. All kinds of things in our life produce stress. I mean, tons of things produce stress. People around holiday time get really stressed out about all the things they got to do. Big stress producers. Suicide rate, alcohol abuse, uh, 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 spousal abuse, all that kind of things. Holiday time just escalates. Escalates. Uh, Religion. Religion produces stress in people's lives. You have a concept of what you should do, and you're trying to be a good person, and all these kinds of things, and, and then you don't measure up to that some standard that maybe you have in your mind, or maybe you've heard somebody preach about, You're you're trying to be good, and so it produces this internal angst inside of your heart. And you don't, you're not, religion's a big stress producer of people, huge, because they're stuck over here on trying to do this religious thing, trying to be a religious person. Rather than being a person who understands the amazing grace and power of being in right relationship with the living God who loved them, created them, made them, schedules, busyness of life, jobs. Your boss can create a lot of stress in your life. Isn't that right? Isn't that true? But you know what? You can create a lot of stress in your job and your boss's life. <laughs> it goes both ways, folks. I mean, don't kid yourself. Yeah, it goes both ways. Bosses are stressed out because their employees aren't doing what they're supposed to be doing. And employees are stressed out because their bosses are putting too much of a demand. So we get all these stress producers in our life. And if we don't respond to them correctly, guess what? Man, we have negative consequences. And then we overeat and we self medicate and we go to the doctor and get a prescription. We have all these kinds of things that happen in our life. And God's just saying, listen, I got a better way. I do have a better way for your life. And we're gonna look at this better way. It's found in Psalms chapter 102. It's a psalm. It's a psalm of a man who is very afflicted. Everyone say afflicted. He's stressed out. This guy's so stressed out that he actually is depressed. He's really discouraged. I mean, life is really throwing some hard stuff his way. And he has, a, you know, he's trying to figure out how to cope, how to deal with it. That's so much. Of in this culture today, we're talking about 50 days to fitness. But really, it's about divine health. It's about divine living. It's really culminated in John 10.10 where Jesus said, I've come to give you life and to give it to you more. Come on, let's say it again. More. What's abundant? It's good. Abundant, whatever abundant means. It's, It's good. It's good life. Now, this guy here, it's an afflicted guy. And he's pouring out his heart to God. We're gonna read some scriptures here. It's gonna help you understand. First thing, we all have problems. Everyone in the room has a problem. We all have problems. You, we know it. People lie to me all the time. Everything's good, and they're all messed up. They're going through. I mean, it's just amazing to me. It's amazing, people, because they have some perception of who I am. They don't know the problems that I have because I'm not telling them either. And so we got a bunch of masks on, and we're not really talking truthfully and honestly. But the stuff of, real stuff of life and the problems that we have in relationships and marriage and money and a lot of money problems right now, right? A lot of money problems in our culture right now. Anybody here feeling it beside me? I mean, it's stressful out there. Businesses are feeling it and there's a credit crunch and we got a huge mortgage crisis here in Central Florida, not just here but nationally. People are feeling it in every industry. Businesses are laying off and they're trying to figure out, they're pumping more money and more money and it's not working and what do we do? And all these questions and issues that have created a tremendous amount of stress in people's life. Here's a guy. We don't even know who the guy is, but he wrote this about 2,900 years ago. He's got a big problem in his life. And we don't know his name. You know, some guys think it's Ezekiel. Some guys think it's Jeremiah. We don't know who this guy is, but this guy definitely has got some problems. And one of the big problems that he has is that other people are controlling his destiny. He, along with the children of Israel, have been taken into captivity because they didn't obey God's law. They didn't obey God's word, they did it their way, not God's way, brought problems, now they're in bondage. Okay, hear me, now they're in bondage. So they're in bondage, and they're frustrated, and listen to what this guy's cry is, beginning with verse number one. Hear my prayer, O Lord, and let my cry for help come to you. Do not hide your face from me when I'm in distress. Turn your ear to me when I call. Answer me quickly. Now, this is always the first thing. This is the first thing proper way to respond to stress in your life. Cry out to God. Call out to God. Call out to the Lord. I mean, it is so clear. He's crying out to God. He's pouring out his heart. Now, we were fortunate today that this guy decided to write this down. I mean, we're fortunate today. You know, we think this is like a holy, and it is a holy book, because it's inspired by the Holy Spirit who moved upon men of old who were having lots of problems, and they knew that they couldn't solve them, so they cried out to God. And God answered their cry. Now, he's saying, God, save me. God, deliver me. God, my life is on the edge. And then he starts to go down all the problems. If you got your Bible, you can read verses 3 through 10. I mean, there's a lot of problems. He's got a lot of things, and he, he describes them like this. For my days vanish like smoke and my bones burn like glowing embers. Maybe he's sick. Maybe he's got cancer. I mean, he's got a lot of internal problems going on. My heart is blighted and withered like grass. I forget to eat my food. I'm so discouraged. I'm so frustrated. I don't even want to eat. Some people get so discouraged, they do the exact opposite. They eat. Well, this guy's not eating, he's really depressed. Because of my loud groanings, I'm reduced to skin and bones. I'm like a desert owl, like an owl with the runes. I lie awake, I become like a bird alone on a roof. All day long, my enemies taunt me. Nobody loves me, nobody likes me. Gloom, despair. I mean, it's getting bad, right? Follow me with this now. For I eat ashes as my food and mingle my drink with tears. And God, you know what? Even your wrath is against me, for you've taken me aside, you throw me aside. All right, so now he's, I mean, God's abandoned him, nothing's working. He identifies the problem. Now, listen to me. Sometimes in your life, you do need to write things down. Sometimes, sometimes one of the ways to help you really figure out a solution is to write out what the problem is. Actually, just take time to write out. This guy actually writes. He writes down his complaint before the Lord. Thank God that he did. So now we know this guy's got some problems, but he doesn't stop there, and that's the issue. Sometimes we stop at the problem. And we don't continue on to the solution. Every problem in God's economy has a solution. You got a marriage problem. You got a marriage problem. God's got a solution. You got a problem with raising your child. God's word helps you and has a solution. You have a problem with your money. God's word has promises that directly relate to your money that will help you with your problem. And I can go down it's psychological, emotional, rela- relational, physical. God's word has a prescription for us. So I'm writing the prescription. Got my lab coat on. I'm telling you the truth. See, He doesn't stop there. The problem, He immediately begins to address God and recount the promises. This is a big deal. This is a huge deal. Look at verse number twelve. But you, O Lord, sit enthroned forever. Your renown endures through all generations. Oh. He recognizes the sovereignty and the awesomeness of Almighty God. Your renown endures for all generations. All generations. All generations. All men. In the very beginning of time, in the the very first pages of the book of Genesis, after man had rejected God and lived his own way, and they're out there living life, the Bible says that men begin to call upon God. At heart of every man, no matter, you know, that's why we have all these world religions, because every culture, every nation, they know that there's something more. And they know that. You will arise and have compassion on Zion. He recounts the promises of God, that God loves his people. For it is time to show favor to her. The appointed time has come. Did you hear that? God's promises of favor on your life. In Genesis chapter, uh, Genesis chapter 6, The Bible says, Noah found favor. You know favor. You know what favor is. Remember when you were in school, I had a teacher. Her name was Miss Miller. I was her favorite pupil. Favorite. One teacher my whole life. I had one teacher. (laughs) The rest of them wanted to move me on. But man, you know how I responded to her? I'd do anything for her. God loves you, he will favor those who call upon. The psalmist recounts this promise to God. He recounts the favor that God will have upon the children of Israel who are being held into captivity. They're actually slaves. They're doing things they they don't want to do. If you don't make choices today, if you don't make choices today, Regarding the promises of God and the way you're going to live life, someone else will help you make choices. See, your problems in life, your problems in life come in kind of two things. They come two ways. They come in issues that you can control and issues that you can't control. So we all have it. We all have things that you can control, and, there, and that's choices. That's the power of choice. It's, a, it's an incredible thing that God has given to us as humans to make a choice. You have a problem, but how you respond is up to you. And so you have these things that you can control in your life. You can control how much food you eat. You can control how fast you drive down the road. You can control whether or not you whip out your credit card and buy that purchase. You can control whether you sleep in bed with a person who's not your spouse. You can control those things. You might not think you can, but you can you are the divine nature. You're a believer. You're a Christian. You have the power to choose because the Spirit of God is in you. Let's get really real. Let's get really nitty-gritty. Let's talk about it, where it hits the road. It's not some etheria out there. This is. And, and so what happens in these areas that you control, you've got to make choices. And there's areas that I can't control. I can't control what you think about me. I can't control what you say about me. I can't control any of those things. I just can't do it. There are all kinds of things that are out of my control. I can't control what my boys do when they go to school. I can't control what my staff does when they're out of my eyesight. I can't, I just, there's all kinds of things I have no control over. I have control over what my neighbor does. I have, there's so many things in your life. And this is the thing that tends to produce a lot of stress in your life. The things that you can't control. Now let's talk about the things that we can't control. And let's talk about the area of boundaries. The responsibility that we have to draw lines in the sand. I call this convictions. Some people say this is where Christianity gets all twisted up. People take things that are convictions and they make them into laws, and they think it's just something written in a book, and God's trying to steal people's fun. He doesn't want people to have a good time, and that's why God said, no, 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 no. See, God knows the end, and he knows what's best. He's a perfect heavenly father. He's a wonderful father. He's a great dad. So I've developed some really strong convictions in my life. I have. I've developed some strong convictions about things that I will do and things that I won't do. I just, I've developed those. And, you know, I don't want to belabor a lot of these points, but there are things that I won't do in relationship to my sexuality with another person. I am committed, wife for life. I'm committed to my relationship with my wife, that she will be the only person as long as she's alive and I'm alive that I'm going to have a sexual relationship with. I'm not going to foster, I'm not going to go after, I'm not going to, I just, I've drawn a line in the sand. Now, what happens, we have these, we have, you know, maybe it's a conviction, but it's kind of a preference, because anything that's a conviction will be tested. If it's a conviction in your life, it's going to be tested. And so, and then we violate, we violate that conviction, really, it was just a preference, and it creates lots of stress. And I'm just taking one area, but you can name it, you can name it with lying or standing in the big tent, you could... You develop a conviction, I'm not going to lie. And then all of a sudden, someone, you know, how do you how do how do you like my dress? You're like, ah, like, oh, right, come on. You don't want to lie, but you're like, Ugh, I don't know, that's really ugly. How do you like my my holy jeans that are supposed to be really cool right now? And how about how do you like that I'm wearing one white sock and one black sock today? You're like you're like, that's stupid. No, you would go, oh, that's really cool. Holes in your jeans, how much did you pay for those? Hey, they're cool. So as long as they're cool right now, i got to wear them, right? That would be all things to all men. It would be cool. So, I mean, it's just all these things, you know. But we have these convictions in our life, and they test it. I call them boundaries. And once I cross a boundary that I have in my life, First, one of the services guy left here and said, I had a conviction. I got myself out of debt, and then, you know, when things are going good, I got back into debt, and now I've got lots of problems. He said, I know. I know the right thing to do. My head has lots of knowledge. My heart doesn't always do the right thing. Isn't that true? So we know the right thing, but walking it out, it's a whole. And then we find ourselves on the edge. We find ourselves on the edge. And then we get these areas of margin. We get these areas that are, you know, like gray areas. The psalmist is crying out all these, you know. And I find that when there's a lot of hot water in your life, when there's a lot of problems, we tend to, yeah, let's. we're going after God real hard. But then when things start to get easier again, God, you know, things start to turn around a little bit, we start to loosen up. I mean, it's just kind of the natural way of man. When things are good, we just kind of we think we we think we had something to do with it, you know, and when things get real tough, then we go, oh, God, help me, I need you. Well, fortunately the promises of God are he will never leave us. He will never forsake us. So we have these boundaries, and we find ourselves in these areas of margin, these areas of gray. What do I do about this? Should I drink or not drink? And, you know, should I use credit, not use credit? And they're just a small areas, relationship areas, job areas, and all these areas, but the fact is when we have really clear parameters of our life, what we're not going to do, it makes what we're going to do a lot easier. It just makes it a lot easier to live. Life is cleaner. Life is simpler. There's simplicity and freedom. There, there, there's, there's freedom and simplicity. There's freedom and discipline. This is what I've discovered in my life. The more disciplined I am, guess what? The more freedom I have. The more disciplined I have and managing my money, the more freedom I have later on. The more disciplined I am I am in the foods that I eat, the more freedom that I have later. More, I don't care what it is. I don't care what the issue is. The more disciplined I am in relationships, the more freedom I have. It's just the way it works, and that's really difficult. Now let, me, let me help you with another extreme example here. It's going to help you understand this. Are you with me today? Yeah. Come on. Hang on here. Don't leave me yet. Don't leave yet. We're wrapping this up here in just a minute. Guy lives here in our community, and we love this guy. Everybody loves this guy. He's a hero to me. I play a little bit of golf. I try. I'm not a good golfer, but I've played a little bit of golf. I've been inspired. I've been inspired. 1999, I went down to Disney. A friend of mine invited me to go to this PGA golf tournament, and there was this young guy. His name was Tiger Woods. And this guy's playing golf. And there were a lot of great golfers there. I do remember this very, very clearly. As I was kind of walking the galley, there was, I mean, there were guys like Tom Watson and Phil Nicholson, and there were, there were guys even in 1999, they were off the chart. I remember guys that I had watched even as a kid were still on the tour playing. And, and there was nobody, I mean, you could, you could pick any one of these famous golfers, and you could stand at their box while they were hitting, and there'd be no one around you. But you would look down the galley, and you would see a crowd, it looked like a herd of cattle. And there was a guy, young guy, real thin uh, African American guy named Tiger Woods. And guess what? Thousand, I mean, the whole galley was just following this guy around, right? Guy's inspirational. This guy has this guy become a corporation himself. And he pr- has produced mass wealth, not just for himself, but for many people. A multi billion dollar industry has grown up around this one guy. Now, he's got a lot of boundaries in some areas. No doubt about it, but he had an area of his life that had to do with his morality that he had no boundaries. It was obvious, and at the time there weren't any consequences. Young man, just living like everybody else, getting what he can get from a young lady, or from whoever, and he lived his life. He gets married, and because he doesn't have a conviction, see, he's got a preference, doesn't want to get caught. Preferences, I don't want to get caught. Don't want, the, doesn't want the penalty. Doesn't have a conviction. He continues this lifestyle. Next thing you know. I mean, you know, it, wasn't, it didn't happen overnight. And we don't even know how many girls. I mean, it's just craziness out there. It's crazy. And this guy's whole life is upside down. Pfft. You talk, He's this guy. Lots of problems, lots of stress. Now, I've been praying for Tiger. And, you know, the amazing thing about God, God's a turnaround kind of God. God's the kind of God that allows you turns And I've been praying for Tiger, for his family. We're not condemning him. But what I realize is that he's an extreme example of what many of us practice in our life. We have preferences and not convictions. And when we have preferences, when push comes to shove, we'll do what we want to do. And that's what he did. He lived that kind of life. And guys, it's painful. It's painful. So now we see see the promises of God. He begins to recount them. He begins to tell them. He ge- begins to speak about them. He begins to declare them. You will arise and have compassion on Zion. For it is time to show favor to her. The appointed time has come. For her stones are dear to her servants. Very, her very dust moves them to pity. The nations will fear the name of the Lord and all the kings of the earth will revere your glory. For the Lord will rebuild Zion and appear in his glory. and He will respond to the prayer of the destitute. He will not despise their plea. Oh, promises of God. God, you promised. You won't despise my plea. He's crying out to God now. All the promises of God. Paul the apostle said it like this to the church at Corinth. The promises of God are yes and a to them that believe. Jesus said it like this. Jesus said, I will never leave nor forsake you. Jesus said it like this, don't worry about tomorrow. Don't worry about problems. Don't take on what you can't fix. Don't take on those things. I, I am sufficient for your every need. You see, that's really what separates this whole thing. There's a problem, there's a problem promise, and then it ends up in this, this culmination what God is really leading us to, and it's learning the power of praise. What we did this morning, the reason that we start off every worship experience with praise and worship is because believers, followers in God, not necessarily in this model, this format, sitting in a format like this, but praise and worship has always been part of what God's people do. It's always been part. It's not just singing a couple diddlies, and every generation has a song. Every generation has a sound. Every generation has a feel. Every generation has something that resonates and makes sense. And that's why we have guitars. And David said they had harps. But we have drums and guitars and all these kinds of things. And it's not just a good band up here. These these people that are leading us, they're leading us into the presence of God. You see, something happens. I want you to see this here in verse number 18. The Bible says that let this be written for a future generation. That a people not yet created may praise the Lord. You see, let this be written. Let your life going through problems, recognizing that there is a promise, end up in a place of praise. Because, see, what I do has direct uh, impact on other people's lives. First of all, to my family. You see, my boys see how I respond in crisis. My boys see what I do when I have problems. And my boys know it. My boys, they've seen me go through this. They've seen me in the good times. They've seen me in the bad times. I realize today that what I do doesn't just impact me. You see, there is a future generation that has been yet created by God to give him praise. This city has people who've not yet experienced the amazing grace and love of God. God's created them. God's made them. they got lots of problems, and someone has to introduce them to the promise of the Lord Jesus Christ and his amazing love and his amazing grace, so they yet can give him praise. Let me tell you, it happened in my life. The bloodline of Christ came into my family sometime back in the 1950s. My mother, a Jewish girl growing up in a home that was not Christian in any way, shape, or form. My grandfather, an alcoholic. My grandmother, a Jewish woman who had all kinds of kind of weird ideas and mostly agnostic and didn't really believe anything. And I I can tell you, somehow, Somehow, at the age of 15, my mom, with no sense of purpose and love, someone told her about the love of God and invited her to church. And her destiny was changed. Her life was changed. I walked my mom, walked through the valley of the shadow of death with cancer and never gave up hope in God. I watched her in the very end of her days when she was laying in a sickbed, nigh unto death, literally full of morphine because her body was wrecked with cancer and pain lifting up her hands towards heaven and giving the God of creation praise. I saw it with my own eyes today. I want you to know today there is a good God. He's a great God. And it ain't always going to be easy for you today. But when you end your life in praise, you'll be ushered into the presence of Almighty God forever and ever and ever. You see, there is a generation that has yet been created in this city that is going to give him praise because your life has been changed through the problems. You look to God, who is your solution from the problem, and you begin to give Him worship and praise and glory and honor. Give the Lord a praise in the house this morning. These are for you. These promises are for you. They're for you, guys. This ain't for Man, guys, I've been as transparent and open, and and I just got, got to know. It's for you. These are not this is not just some book. It's an archaic book that some guys had some good thoughts, some nice people trying to help. No, no, no. These were real live people. Had, had lots of problems. God. They knew, though, there was a God who heard their cry of desperation. Oh, is it always hard? No. But like Tony Dungy said, and I love this quote. I've said it the last couple weeks. It's really impacted me. Life is hard. God's always good. God. God is always good. He's always good. He's good today. But he wants you to believe. And that's the tension in your life. It's the tension. It's the tension. Do you really believe? Yeah, I believe. So you got to settle some of these things. you got to settle it. I know when I'm getting overloaded, even this morning God was speaking to me about things in my life. I'm worshiping God speaking to me. but There is a change in my life. Wow. okay, God, I give it to you. Things that produce stress when there's not enough communion cups for everybody in the room. I just can't worry about it. I want to worry about it. I want everything to be perfect. But life isn't perfect. And whoever told you life was fair, they lied to you. (laughs) It ain't fair, and it's not always easy. Okay, now, Dr. Eugene is going to give you a real quick medical prescription. Are you ready for the prescription? In a minute 27, all right, it's going to save you a therapist today. It's going to save you a, a trip to the doctor. It's going to save you. It's going to save you if you're taking prescription medicines. Listen, you talk to your doctor. But I, I want you to know there is a way. There is a better way. If you're self-medicating, doing these other things, trying to relieve stress and pressure in your life, there is a better way. God's got a solution. The first thing that's got to happen is you've got to get knowledge. You have to have knowledge. Knowledge is power. Knowledge is power. Uh, see, I got knowledge about these seven steps of divine health and I started applying them. And my life is really in forty some days radically changed. Now, you know, I'm on this and, and for the most it's kind of a conviction preference, you know, this personally with me, this health thing, you know. Yeah, I'm really serious about it, but last night went to a birthday party, one of the parishioners in our church, and uh, I went from fifty days to fitness to eating like I had one month to live. <laughs> I mean man, I just pork. And they had Boss baked beans and I don't been eating pork, but I eat, man, a pork was so that pulled pork was so good. Burger and chili and, and I left there, man, one o'clock this morning. It was payday, baby. I got knowledge But I gotta apply that knowledge and walk it out. It's called wisdom. Now I have backslid day. I'm back on track today. <laughs> I'm gonna do the cleansing. One of the principles is cleansing. I'm you know, cleansing my body, I'm drinking the right things and back on the vegetables and eating the right things. I want to live, I want to live a long time. I want to live a long time. I want to live a blessed life. I want to live my best life now. Part of it is the way I take care of this thing here. It's a fact. So first thing you got to, you got to get knowledge. You got to apply that knowledge. A lot of people have knowledge about money. A lot of people have knowledge about marriage. You know, it's amazing to me how many pastors, friends that I know, they got all kinds of knowledge about what God says, but haven't been able to work it out in their own life. You guys know it. The bummer, when a pastor falls, pastor messes up, it messes up a lot of people. Like, ah, oh, man, church, yeah, religion. Uh, I tried the elders and the deacons. They're sleeping around more people. Uh, rah, 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 rah. Not true. That's not true, but perception. Hard to break perception sometimes. You do need knowledge. Get knowledge. You read every verse in the book of Proverbs that talk about knowledge. But knowledge, until it's applied, never become wisdom. Knowledge enough isn't alone. You've got to apply it. That's what becomes wisdom. The second thing that has to happen in our lives is we have to practice mindfulness. Jesus said it like this. Give your entire attention to what God is doing right now. Don't get worked up about what may or may not happen tomorrow. You live in the moment. You live right now. You can't fix tomorrow. You can't fix it. You should be right. Okay. I'm writing this, doctor. Dr. Doctor Smith. Let's give me a prescription here. So these are choices that you can make today. You can get knowledge. You've got an area, you've got a problem in your life, get knowledge about it. I mean, read about it. Find out people. One of the things that I do is that I read about other people who are successful in life. So Tony Dungy right now is like my hero. I don't know if you know who Tony Dungy was. Football coach, Tampa Bay Bucks, and then Indianapolis Colts, now a commentator. But phew, that guy's a winner. He's had lots of pain. Christmas Day, 2005, his son committed suicide, 18-year-old boy. He's had some pain, guys. But he's a winner. He didn't stop. He didn't quit. I'm giving you a prescription. You got to get knowledge. But you got to live for the day. You can't fix tomorrow yet. You're not there. You got to live for right now. When you take on things that you can't fix tomorrow, today you produce stress, and then you have to go to the doctor and get a blue pill, a purple pill, or whatever. You got. That's what happens. Third thing that God wants you to hear this morning. You got to begin to change your perspective. This is so powerful and so true. You got to change your perspective. Psychologists call it reframing. And so, you know, it's amazing how these biblical principles, the world kind of captures onto it and they give it a title, and then we go to a doctor and pay $125 an hour and hope our insurance covers it so he can give us a prescription. But let me he- let me help you here today. Listen to me. Listen to me. And I'm not picking on that, it's just it's so prevalent. I couldn't believe the statistics when I read them. And I realized, oh, God, help us. God, help me. God, help me. There's a better way. Change your perspective. The weapons that we fight with are not the weapons of this world. Did you hear that? We don't fight the way the world fights. On the contrary, they have divine power. Everyone say divine. You know what divine is? Divine is supernatural. Divine is supernatural. It has the ability to change your world, to do the impossible, and to make it possible for you. That's God's divine power. We demolish arguments and every pretense that sets itself up against the knowledge of God that tells you that you're no good. You can't do it. You're a loser. You've failed too many times. Your addiction's too strong. You don't understand. It sets itself up against those, and it takes captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. That's reframing. That's rethinking. Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus, and be not conformed to this world, but be Transformed by the renewing of your mind, you're changing the way that you think. You reframe it. So you got a problem, and so you're gonna to have to look at that problem differently. And see, when you start to look at things differently, things start to change. When you start to look at your spouse differently, things start to change. When you start to look at your money differently, it starts to change. When you start to look at your body differently, this is how you do it. This is got a lot more to say in this area, but this is how you do it. Just give God thanks. So, I mean, it sounds so simple, but when you're walking through a tragedy, when you're going through a great trial, isn't that right, Dave? Dave's father passed away a week ago this last Thursday. Dennis, I mean, many of you know; some of you are new to church, you don't know, but Dennis, man, he was just an incredible man. Lieutenant with the Casper Police Department, you know, I mean, just incredible guy. Touched so many people's lives, and we're just our world is rocked. There was no, there was no, you know, this one month of lifting for Dennis was about, you know, less than a day. He didn't know. Goes to the hospital, got a pain in his stomach. Boom. Never leaves that day. Doesn't leave. Wow. Well, that's not me. You know, you're right. Statistically, probably not you. But but when you begin to change your perspective, this is what happens. There's a guy named Viktor Frankl. He's a famous psychiatrist. He's a fam- famous medical doctor. And in the 1940s, he was taken as a prisoner of the by the Nazi Germans. He's a Jewish man. And he was taken and he was put into a concentration camp called Auschwitz. And there in Auschwitz, uh, Viktor Frankl was stuck into a cell room, completely naked, beat, humiliated, mocked. Everything had stripped away. His wealth had been stripped away. His life had been stripped away. His family had been burned in gas chambers. Everything in his life had been stripped away. Power, prestige, position, nothing left. There he is. He's naked. Just him and that wall, empty room. And he has an aha moment. And he says, you know, they've taking everything away, but they can't take away the power of myself to choose. And I choose today to be free. No one can take that freedom away from me. No one can take that away. No one can take away the ability of me to choose freedom. They can't take your choice away. You can lose everything in life, but the power to choose is up to you. It's up to you. And so he immediately starts to verbally talk about the things that he's going to do when he gets out. I'm going to do this. I'm going to have this fun with my family. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to, you know. And he begins to be thankful about that choice to change, the choice to choose. And he starts teaching other prisoners about the power of choice. You see, it might not be easy might not be easy to choose, but when you choose to be thankful in the midst of the storm, when you choose to give God praise, you recognize there are people that have yet to be created that are going to be impacted by your life. And the best of your life, whether here on earth or into the next, next stage, to your great promotion, until you arrive into heaven, whew, whew, is how to Father, thank you for the cross. Thank you, Jesus. That's what communion was all about. It was living. It was active. The power to change my world. The power to change my life. Forgive me of my sins. Set me free from the captivity and the bondage of the evil one. To give me a new life, a new heart. Change mine. I'm thankful, Father. Thankful for the time that I did have, my Father. Thankful for the time that I did have, my you that even this trial right now makes me more dependent upon you. You see, I begin to express thanksgiving for what I have rather than complain about what I don't have. I begin to change, reframe my perspective about life. And when I begin to reframe my perspective, a grateful heart begins to overflow. The Bible says it is with a good theme or a grateful theme that my heart is filled. I'm filled today with a grateful heart that God is working and saving and changing and moving. I walked in here Wednesday night, packed out with young people. And guys, we're not just doing little diddlies here with young people. We're not just having some fun and games. Young people, I mean, literally, transform. Young people set free. Young people whose homes are being impacted. And it ain't perfect, guys. We understand. We understand. But it was so powerful. The pre- you could cut it with a knife. That presence of God. I came down to the altar. 10, 12, 15 young people, nine, fifteen at night, service long over. Crying out to God. Crying out to God that others would experience this change.
0: Thanks for listening to this message on the edge with lead pastor Eugene Smith. For service times and more information about City Church Orlando, please visit our website anytime at orlando or call 407-321-9600